would thank you this morning as Father even Scott shared just the reality that our life is found in your life your life in us gives us life and I know that we can live in this world and uh, we have to live in this world um, but Lord I don't want to live below the best that you've got for me and I know that we're here today and would be the same and so would, would we be Lord help us just to be ever so aware through your presence, through the Holy Spirit today, that we would receive that life as we engage with you as in this worship time, in this, in your, as we listen to your words to us today. We just thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that your death and then your resurrection and then your burial and then eventually your ascension to heaven in bodily form was before us and you've given us life. We thank you for that. We thank you. We remember that today. We celebrate and thank you for it through your blood and your body that was broken and poured out for us. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Great. Wonderful. Well, thanks, team. I uh, was just a couple of weeks ago, as Scott mentioned, uh, I, I started a little series and I just called it Unmovable Boundaries. And, and there's, um, because there's things in life that uh, principles and things that we do in life that we say we're never going to change. That's something I'm always going to be engaged in, something I'm always going to set in place in my life. There's a verse in the Bible in Proverbs that's, uh, that Samuel, uh, sorry, not Samuel, Solomon, sorry, shares in Proverbs 22, 28. And he says this, he says, Do not remove the ancient landmarks which your fathers have set. Now, it's a double-edged sword, this verse, because it's referring in one instance to the reality of the children of Israel as they came into, over a million people came into a promised land. Who knows that after wandering in a desert for 40 years, you'd look forward to settling down. Uh, and so they settled, they came across the Jordan and they came into a promised land and, and, and God divided to them um, portions of land according to their tribes and then within the tribe, God divided to them, um, according to their clan, certain portions of land. And then, he, and then according to families, he then subdivided again into these areas where a family had a plot of land. I don't know how many acres or whatever it would have been. But the way that they would mark the boundaries was not with fencing like you and I know today. It wasn't like barbed wire and wooden posts. It was rocks or stones that were set in place. And that would mark the boundary between one family's um, plot in another family's plot unfortunately what happened is that people would in the night sometimes go and move the boundary and give themselves more land because it was easy to do that if it was a fence maybe more difficult but with a stone you could move the boundary maybe if you just moved it like over three years about 10 times you could end up taking a whole hundred meters I don't know but as you added to your plot of land you would steal from someone else's wouldn't you and it was never a good thing. And that's why Solomon says, hey, do not remove the ancient landmarks which your fathers have set in place. It also, the other side of this verse is this. Is Solomon was very much talking about the belief systems and the principles that God had set in place in regards to how we live our lives or how you live your life. Don't move those things because while everything continually gets fresh and there's new way of doing things, Aren't we aware of that? You know, we've renewed this building and there's, you know, it's different to what it used to be. But that's not bad. That's good. But there's some things that we, you know that while there's a new way of doing things, what, 
the things that we're doing, are, some things are never going to change, and we never need to change those things. We never need to take them away because they're set. They're things that will actually make life go really well for you and me. Really good. And so that's what Solomon's talking about. And you can find another three times in, just in Scripture where it just says, don't move the boundary markers or the lines. In, you know, don't do that. And so I, you know, Solomon speaks of these boundaries and he's talking very much, as much about a physical boundary as a belief boundary or a, a, what you believe. And sometimes we never give ourselves time to think of what convictions we have and what boundaries we need to set in place to live by. You know what I'm saying? And that's why sometimes in life we just slip into doing wrong stuff, not because we kind of you know, thought about doing wrong stuff or wanted it. We just slip into it because we never set up a conviction or a boundary in our heart. So I'm never going to go there. But we never give ourselves time to think sometimes, I don't want to go there. So that we never then just slip into it when the, the opportunity comes. We say, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And thus, unfortunately, many people do. They just slip into doing stuff that's just destructive to their lives. And God just would say, don't do that. Don't do that. I, I, I know growing up as a young married man with three precious little girls in my life, there was some boundaries they set in place. Now, they weren't necessarily thus says the Lord kind of scriptures, but they were there in, in a sense in scriptures. And one of those boundaries I remember for me personally, this is not like doctrine, but this is personally, I just said every week I'm going to spend time with each of my daughters. I'm going to give them time. I, I, you know, that was my principle as a dad. They were my priority. My wife was my priority. My children were my priority. And I always remember setting that in place. And now as I go on, I just see the rewards that I've reaped of doing that in my daughters, you know. Now, did I do it perfectly? No, not by a long way. But I continue to set some things in place with them. I remember as a husband, there was this little saying Michelle and I had that I was... And I had in my heart, it was a principle that I lived by in regards to my marriage. I was never going to take my wife for granted. Because I see sometimes in marriage, partners or, or couples just take each other for granted and thus speak. And the way we speak to each other, the way we treat each other. You know, I need to treat her as my bride as if she was walking down the aisle every day of my life. Don't you agree? So I just made a decision that I'd never take her for granted. And that I'd always be thankful for her. Now, have I done that perfectly? No, nah, not by a long way. I'm just thankful for the grace of God who forgives me. But I want to encourage us that there's some boundaries in place, the things that we need to place. What do you live your life by? What convictions do you live your life by? So there's some things I'm never going to, I'm not going to go there because that'll be destructive. And even when the world calls at you and says, come on, this is fun and exciting and this is really going to you know, make you happy. And it will for a season, but I've discovered the enemy just comes to seal, to kill and destroy and it makes you happy for a season, and then everything, he just rips it out from underneath you, and it just becomes so destructive. So, I want to encourage us, and a couple of weeks ago, I talked about a, a, a boundary marker that I believe is doctrinally sound it, it, from Scripture, and it was talking about the Holy Spirit. We can't just throw the Holy Spirit out and say, oh, well, yeah, he's there. No, 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 we need to realize, and we talked about that, and you can go on the, on the podcast and listen to that. But this week, I want to talk about another subject that's just so foundational, to, I believe, for, Christian, for life, for everybody. And so I want to read Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 to 18. Just three verses this morning, and this is what it says. Jesus is spending some time talking to his disciples. And as he speaks to them, he has this conversation, and he, and he says just before this, 
He says in verse 15, he says to his disciples, hey, hey, but who do you guys say that I am? So he's, he's looking for their response. And then Simon Peter answered, Simon Peter, who was incredibly, had some incredible, wonderful moments. And this is one of his wonderful moments. He also had some incredibly, diff, really blew it moments. He just, he foot and mouth disease all over, but then he had some wonderful moments. So this is one of those incredible comments and revelations he has, and he speaks it out. And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Wow. How did Peter know that? He didn't. That's the truth. It was, it was something God revealed to him on the moment, and he just spoke it out. I've had some of those moments. I thought, gee, that thought is far better than I am intelligent. <laughs> I have not got the intelligence to think that up. You know why? Because often it's through the Holy Spirit speaks to you or God says something. So Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, wow, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood, that's his full name, um, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. There you go. My Father who is in heaven, my words added, has revealed this to you. And then verse 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter, okay, which means little rock. And on this rock, not talking about Peter, but talking about the revelation that Peter had of Jesus. And on this rock and thought and revelation of Jesus, I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail against it. What a great and powerful passage. Here is what I want to, I want to talk to you today about the importance of church. Is that cool? Just church. You think, oh, I know about church. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> because I've learned lots about I don't think I can ever continue to uh, get to the point where it's an exhausted information. You know, I, in my Bible study, in my Bible uh, st studies, you know, I, I listened to lectures and, doc and, and doctoral principles about church, and there was like just volumes and volumes and volumes. I am not going to give you volumes this morning, okay? I just want to give you a short snippet of truth. I can't, it's not an exhaustive information about God's church. I can't do that this morning. But I can encourage us and share with us the principles, some of the principles and truth. So we'll do that, okay? So don't expect me to come up with this incredible, but I simply want to present in the time we've got together. You know, when I was 13 years of age, I'd just come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I'd gone to Sunday school most of my life, but I, I actually personally made a commitment to Jesus. Uh, it was through the week one day with my, my cousin who led me to Jesus and said, you know what, you kind of believe in God, but why don't you come and confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and believe in your heart what God has done through Jesus Christ when he died on a cross and he, and he was buried and he rose again to take your sin. And I'm like, I am in. And I committed my life to Christ. And there was this over, um, there was this great sense. It wasn't overbearing, but it was a great sense that I needed to find like people who, who actually were like me, who actually believed in Jesus as well and committed their lives. So I said to my mum one Sunday morning, I was 13, and I said to mum, I said, mum, I'm going to go and find a church this morning. This is really how it happened, folks. It was really raw. It was really simple. My mum wasn't too hassled about that because I used to go to Sunday school. Um, and, and so she thought, oh, yeah, fine. So I got up. I walked. I lived near this Gladstone State High School. I walked down, um, you know, the main highway there near the high school. I walked to Auckland Street. And I, I don't know why, but I turned right. This is a 13-year-old. I mean, how do you do this? I've got I to, gotta, in hindsight, look back and say, God, were you leading me at that time? I turned right. 
And as I turned right, I went about 60 meters in uh, Auckland Hill, not, not towards Auckland Hill, the other way up, up Auckland Street, and I found a church. And as I walked through the front gate and up the front steps, a man at the top of the step with a big smile put out his hand and he, and he said, welcome to church. And I thought, that's great. His name was John. Some of you might know him, John Cathcart. And he became my youth leader. And, and, and you know what? It's been 40, better get it right, 43 years and I'm still going to church. And I've been wondering why I'm still going to church, not because I find it difficult, but I, I'm just inquisitive, what, what's this church thing about? What is the reason that God had pl placed in the scripture um, the reality of why church is important or what it's about? And I want to, have you ever had that question? I don't know. I hope you got the question right now. Okay, I'm going to tell you. Is that cool? <laughs> Why well, it is. You see, the wonderful thing about Jesus, you might say, well, Jesus never really talked about church. And you'd be right, because he only mentions it twice. He, does, he only uses the word twice. Matthew 16, where we just read now, I'll build my church and the gates of hell and will prevail against it. And in Matthew 18, where he's actually giving instruction on how the believers in the church should conduct themselves with each other. So twice, Jesus. And sometimes people have said, well, on the basis of that church mustn't be that important. You couldn't be so wrong. The reality is, we can interpret that church isn't important because Jesus only spoke of it a couple of times. Uh, but the truth is, the church did not actually begin till after Jesus died, was buried and rose again, and then eventually ascended to be with his Father in heaven. It only began after Jesus left the earth. And the truth is, is that in the second chapter of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers and the church is birthed that at that moment. Well, after the time Jesus was, not long after, but after Jesus had gone to be with his Father in heaven. And the church is like the next phase after Jesus left the earth. And the Holy Spirit came. It was the next thing, to, uh, next phase or the next season for the, the world at that time, for the church to be birthed and raised up. So the reason Jesus didn't talk about the church while he was alive, because it was something that was yet to come. It was something that was yet to come. He did mention it twice. That's pretty good. But the reality is he didn't talk about it a lot. But it was yet to come. He, was, he knew this was going to happen. He didn't have to convince anybody. Now Jesus, what Jesus did talk about church a lot, is he talked about the kingdom of God a lot. A lot. A real lot. You go through the scripture, you'll see there's just a lot of verses about the kingdom of God. And some have interpreted that the words kingdom and church are interchangeable. And you know, I could really push the case that that's exactly true. It's not true. Kingdom is completely kingdom is different to church. Okay, so when you ever you talk about the kingdom of God, um, so whenever you read about the kingdom, um, that doesn't mean church. Okay, because Jesus, when Jesus spoke of the kingdom, he was speaking of the culture of the people in the church, not the church. He was speaking about the culture of believers. He was speaking about how we how we speak and how we live our lives. Whenever he speaks of the church, he's speaking of an organization group of people gathering and so because you could see that jesus spoke of building the church it was always an, and, and when you saw him speak of building uh so when you saw him speak about the church it was always um uh, building the church whenever he spoke of the two times but when it was about the kingdom it was inheriting the kingdom or entering the kingdom or receiving the kingdom so it was about a culture that god wanted us to have so the church is a community of people to show the world the culture of god okay 
in a nutshell. And, and it, it, what culture would that be? It's his love. It's to show his truth. It's to show his incredible sacrifice for us to mimic that or to be that as well to, the, to this world. So we could see clearly that the kingdom and the, they and the church do work together, but one's the culture and one's the organization. One's the gathering of the people. So let's talk about a church, a few things about the church. And here we go. Number one, I've discovered as I read the Bible that the church is, is his body. Okay? You've heard this before. It's his body. You might say literally. Well, you, you, obviously not literally, uh, but we are his body. Okay, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, here we go. Now you are the body of Christ. This is Paul speaking to the, the church at Corinth. And he's saying, you people are the body of Christ and members individually. Okay, and so all of this, just because you come into a church, you don't, you don't lose your individual gifting or ability. It's like, but the truth is that you present it and allow it to be used. And together... When we use, see our individual gifting as parts of the body of Christ, it's amazing how the body starts to function like a real body. You know, it is healthy breathing, it is healthy exercise, uh, the blood's running through it, uh, you know it, you know what I'm saying. But when we use our individual giftings, this morning, some have the ability to sing. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't we grateful for people who can sing? Aren't we grateful for people who can play instruments? Aren't we grateful for people who just serve? Someone at the door meets you or someone gives you communion this morning. Aren't you grateful for the people this week, for the couple of young guys yesterday who went and helped the lady, you know, just take stuff to the dump from this church? And that, that's the body of Christ in action. That's the part of the body of Christ, isn't it? So, so it's the gifting, the individual giftings of each. But we come together as his body. And all this was established after Jesus died and rose again and left in bodily form. He went to heaven. So it was saying, we don't have Jesus' body here on earth physical anymore. It's gone. But you're the body now. You're the body of Jesus. And the life of Jesus comes through the Holy Spirit into our lives and makes us one and forms this incredible body that functions in not just in this building. Oh, let the church never be just in this building. Come on. The church has got to be out there in the world. That's where, the, that's where Jesus was. He went into the synagogue. Jesus would preach from the, in the synagogues of the day or the churches of the day. I've had the privilege of being in some of those synagogues earlier this year. But, you know, the reality is he was out there. He was the adulterous woman and the Zacchaeus who climbed the tree in Jericho. He was out there. And so we see that's the body's function. We're the body of Christ now. In other words, what Christ did, we can continue to do. So Paul goes on a little more information and he says to the Colossian church in Greece, in Greece, Colossian Christians, he says in Colossians 1.18, he says, you know what? He is the head of the body. So he gives a bit more information. And not only is Jesus, the analogy of Jesus, <coughs> where his body, but this body, you might think, oh, the pastor's the head. No, I'm not the head, folks. I'm just the wonderful opportunity I have to oversee. But Jesus is the head of this church. And I better be listening to him. Would you agree? If I'm going to oversee. So he's the head, and it says he's the head of the body, Colossians 1.18. Did we finish reading it? No. He's the head of the body, the what? The church. The church. So very clearly, so Jesus is the head of the body. If Jesus is the head, he actually wants to be identified with the body of people called the church. Because you wouldn't put your name on the church if you didn't like it. Jesus not only wanted to identify, let me just say this, he likes you. 
Eki loves you, but let's just go with like for the moment. He likes, he, he wants to identify because he's the head. You don't put your name on something if you don't agree with it or you don't like it or you didn't, you didn't want to, you know, um, be the one that is identifying and, and liking this thing. And that's what Jesus did. Let me say this. No young man here in his right mind ever walks up to a prospective wife and says, you know what? You got beautiful eyes. That's, that's good, you, you, know. you know, your lips are amazing, your hair is incredible, but what is with your body? <laughs> that if a young man ever says that to any young ladies here, you have my permission to just slap them on the face <laughs> and say, <laughs> okay, that wouldn't be, uh, I hope no one's done that, and I don't think I've ever heard of anybody doing it, but the reality is, we, we have people say, I love Jesus Christ. I like Jesus Christ. I just can't stand the church. So you're saying, I love God, but hate his body. Or I love Jesus, but hate his body. Christ actually likes his body. Why wouldn't we? If we're his body, why don't we? You know, people say, they, they sometimes say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, love his body. Come to church. Am I pushing for numbers? No, I'm not. I'm just saying when you're in the body of Christ, you do far better than any other individually out there by yourself. We're not the only church. There's wonderful churches in this city. Praise God for them. But well, we're all the body of Christ. See, see, you can't say, you know, and I've had this people say to me, Oh, I say, where do you, you know, where, where are you, do you stand with Jesus? Oh, I love Jesus. Just can't. I'm not going to be a part of the church. You say, why? It's often because they're hurt. They're hurt. And you know what? You've got to get over that. Every one of us here has had someone hurt us. But you're here still. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm here because I'm committed to the body of Christ. And I've had a lot of mud flow, thrown at me. And that's okay. Okay, I've got to get bigger than that. I've got to get, I've got to get unoffendable. <laughs> but Christ wants us together. Another thing, another thing. If Christ is the head, we're the body. We need to be connected. It kind of the body talks about connection, doesn't it? You look at my physical body. My hand doesn't float out here to the right by itself, not connected to the arm. Would you agree? If it did. Uh, you know, you got something to worry about. There's <laughs> something not going on right there. But, you know, my hand is connected to the arm, and the arm can't say to the hand, well, you know, I don't want you anymore. Or the hand can't say to the arm, would you stop flinging me around and making me do stupid things, arm? It's your problem. And so I want to be... Because if the hand decides to disconnect from the arm, it's going to disconnect from the blood supply and the life supply. Would you agree? And so the same analogy with life. We, we do better together than apart, where we can be a supply. Now, it's Jesus who's the head so he's the one who's going to provide for us and it's but you know what your brother and sister sitting beside you or sitting some distance away as it is at the moment they're the ones who that you know what it's amazing when you get together what you can achieve and that's what the body of Christ is all about it's a connection um, and Jesus wanted the body to be connected so we can walk and we can run and we can function 
and we can breathe and we can speak and we can love. You know what? I discovered that, you know, we do it better together. You know, we can love more people than just one individual uh, loving someone. We can love much more. We can influence much more. So here we go. The church is also a flock of sheep. Gee, time goes so quickly when you get excited. The church is a flock of sheep. Acts chapter 20, 28. Therefore, take heed to yourself, it says, and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit made you overseas to shepherd the, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. See, Paul's speaking to the pastors of the church at Ephesus. And he's saying he used every, and it, it, he uses, um, this is a very understandable analogy to any Jewish person or any person, whether you're Roman or Jewish or Greek or, or Samaritan in those days, because shepherds and flocks were everywhere. Okay, did you know they're still there today? Flocks of sheep still roam the streets of, of Israel, of Jerusalem, uh, in all types of places. Um, and the interesting reason is that they used, uh, Paul uses this analogy um, in Acts, or sorry, Luke uses this analogy in Acts, um, in what Paul was saying. Paul was actually speaking it, Luke was writing it down. He refers to the believers, you know, and I was aware that the reason that Paul uses the analogy of flocks is because flocks stick together, don't they? When they travel, they travel together. Just imagine if he said, you're a, you know what, you're a bunch of chickens. Have you ever tried to herd chickens? Right, impossible. You go to get them together, they just scatter everywhere. They've got, no they got no concept of being together. But a flock of sheep, they just travel together. I was in Jericho in Israel, um, in, uh, in January, and, I, and, I, and there was a, as a, we're at Jericho, there's this fl um, flock of sheep and goats coming up the hill. I just had to go into the middle of them and see what they would do. Thankfully, they didn't bite me, butt me, or anything else. But I took a video. Let me just show you if we could possibly put that. Just watch and observe what they do together. They just move together. No good? It'll happen, just patience. If it's, if it's not going to happen, that's okay. It did happen this morning. Oh, here we go. This is me on my camera, on my phone. Skinny goats, fat sheep. That is a hill. It looked like they're making hard work of it. Okay, there we go. There's my wonderful videoing ability shown to you on my phone. Um, but the interesting thing is, is it's gone. Um, the interesting thing is, is uh, talk about a message about sheep and the goats. But anyway, we won't go there. But the truth is, is that they just move together. You could be, it, it, they just flow together. There was a corner, they came up the hill, and when I stood right there in their path, they, they, weren't, they just went around me, quite literally, either side of me, and, and joined up together again on the, behind me. And uh, I know the video probably doesn't do it justice, uh, but and then as they went around the corner, they did it together. And it's, just, you know, it's just interesting, isn't it, um, that his church is a corporate term, not an individual term. Sheep stick together and gather together. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, And let us consider one another in order to stir each other up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. What? 
Oh, thank you, that one person down the back. <laughs> Not forsaking of ourselves. You can read it on the screen. Let us love and good works. Or anyway, it just, verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling ourselves together as a manner of some. So obviously, the author of Hebrews is saying, Some of you are stopped getting together, but exalting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Isn't that wonderful? I want to say this. If God never intended for us to be together, He would never have called us a flock. We never called us a flock of sheep. Never called us a flock of sheep. Here's the last thought. The church is the bride of Christ. So not only is the church a flock of sheep, not only is the church, what was the first one? His body. But the church is the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved that church and gave himself for her so this passage is primarily speaking about family relationships okay it's talking about family relationships let's not you know move away from that fact but Paul right there in the middle takes the opportunity to talk about how the church is like a bride isn't it and then he says so Christ is the husband and we're the bride okay so what does this show us in Christ's affection towards us not only does he like us, but he literally actually loves us individually and as the church. That's why we should have an attitude that he actually accepts us. He accepts you because the word of God says we are accepted in the brethren, in the beloved. And it's an old, old King James word, beloved. That's in us, loving one another. He says uh, he made us accepted in the beloved. Do you know how you can feel accepted by Jesus? Do you know Jesus Christ accepts you today? It doesn't mean that he agrees with everything we do, but he loves us anyway. He accepts us. Do you know the way that I felt accepted by Jesus Christ was when I came into a church and people welcomed me. When a man called John at the top step of a church, for the very first time as a 13-year-old, I stepped into a church, not just to go to a Sunday school, but actually go to church for the first time in my life at the age of 13. He put his hand out and said, welcome to church. I felt so accepted. But it was more than just a human interaction. It was just like God saying, this is where you belong. And I've never left. Because I know that God, ex and, I, I, and I experienced, because of the body of believers, I experienced and able to then understand and to decipher the reality that God accepts me. He accepts me. When I got married, and I stood at the, um, at the front of the church building, and I looked back down the aisle at my wife coming up that aisle, um, I didn't whisper in the best man's ear and say, mate, she could have done her hair better than that. And what is with that makeup? She could have put some on. <laughs> and, and that dress... That's not a wedding dress. It looks. No, I didn't say that. And, and you know why I didn't say that? Because I was besotted. I don't care if she walked up in a bean bag. <laughs> Maybe I would have. <laughs> but the truth is, she looked beautiful. But the truth is, I, I wasn't fault finding. You know, Jesus Christ, when, when he's the husband, and we're the bride, Jesus Christ doesn't go around fault-finding about your life and look at you and try to find all the little 
things that are wrong. He knows the things that are wrong, but he accepts you. When my wife walked up there, man, I was like, I was like, she was a thing of beauty. You know? Now, as time goes on, the bride gets wrinkly and the hair gets grayer. And don't you guys laugh? Your chest falls into your drawers. And your bottom disappears. And hair grows out your ears. So don't, you know. But as time goes on, the bride. But, you know, here's the thing. Husbands, you have to love her just the same as when you first saw her coming down that aisle. Because hopefully your love for her is not based on what she looks like, but just who she is and who she is now. And, you know, this is the point. Gee, I heard that, Tristan. Praise God. It must be my hearing is getting better these days. Because Jesus Christ, here's the point. Jesus Christ doesn't forget. He, he, he sees us as spotless. He accepts us. And he always sees us as the, 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 the bride that comes down the aisle. He doesn't see us as the ex. He doesn't see us as a girlfriend. He sees us as the bride that always come down the aisle. And he always sees us that way. He doesn't see us... 50 years into the marriage or 33 like us and say, well, she's got a bit of gray hair or whatever it may be or she's got this or that. No, he says, she's always a bride to me. And that's how he sees us, accepted and loved. Here's another thing quickly. A bride, so as a bride, he shows us he wants intimacy with us. It's not like he takes his bride and puts her in a motel and then visits her every now and then. That's not the problem. That's not the thing. He wants to move in and set up house. He wants to inhabit us with us. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. That's us. He inhabits the praises. He wants to move in with you. He wants to be intimate with you, relationship with you. That's what worship is about. That's what your prayer time's about sometimes. That's what just reading his word, him speaking to you. That's what it's about sometimes. Him wanting to do something, be intimate with you. Because you're we're his bride. We're not his ex. We're not some just um, casual friend that he has a fling with in the motel room. No, he's a constant, we're a constant um, element, a constant partner of him in our lives, married. And I love it. So we see the we're, we're, as a church. We're his body, so he identifies with us. He likes us. He wants us connected. We're a flock, so he wants us to stick together. Support. You know, we are much better together than we are apart. You might say, oh, I don't know. You know, iron sharpens iron. It's okay. You know, sometimes iron sharpens iron, doesn't it? Please don't get disappointed when that happens. It's just, it's just growing. You know, it, you know, you can stay by yourself and never develop in character. But I find that sometimes being in the body of Christ does that wonderful thing. It pushes you to new heights and who you are. Oh, sometimes we don't like that, do we? But we're, we're a flock that needs to stick together. I can imagine those... Goats and those sheep. Do you know what the sheep, if they get the horn of a goat in its side, you know, they wouldn't enjoy that. Oh, you know, someone giving them a bit of a butt around, but they stick together anyway. Thirdly, we're his bride. We're accepted by him. Can we, this morning, can I have all the musosis come, please? And we're going to close. I'm just, I just, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that God calls us his body, his bride, his flock, his church. Can we stand together? We're going to pray in a moment. We're just going to finish with a song. Can I just ask us just for a moment, just to close our eyes just for a moment. 
just for a moment, it, we'll finish soon. But I want to ask you this question. I just want to emphasize that point about him being accepted. You know what? God extends his arms and love through the Holy Spirit this morning and says, you're accepted. You might say, yeah, I've done too much wrong. I've blown it too many times. No, no. Yep, yep, you have. Okay. We, we have. Many of us have. But he says, I accept you. And you know what? We could work together on that life. But would you come and accept the acceptance that I have for you? Would you come and, and make me your Lord and Savior? Put me first in your life. And if that's you this morning and you know that you need to do that, I'd love you in, uh, just to lift your hand so I can see, can I just pray for, pray for you this morning or pray with you this morning? Is there anyone today just needs to say, Yes, for the, maybe for the very first time, whether it's older person, middle-aged, younger person this morning, any person you just needs to say yes to Jesus and say, you know, I need to. Maybe it's for, uh, uh, you need to do it again because you know that it's just been something that you've walked away from or, or put aside. Secondly, I want to just pray today for just... Um, if it's not for responsive commitment to Jesus, I want to pray today just for people today that just feel that that sense in their lives they've just been rejected. Maybe it's by people in general or just rejected by other people or just feel that sense of, do I really belong anywhere? Or God just says you belong. You belong in His kingdom. And I'd love to just pray for you this morning. So while our eyes are closed, no one's looking around, just raise your hand. I just want to pray. Father, today, we just pray for people, Father, in that area of just feeling like they've been rejected. They may be rejected by a, a loved one, a family member, uh, a husband, a wife, a, a mate, whatever it's been, Lord, a brother or sister. Maybe even feel they've been rejected by someone in your church. I pray that you'd restore their hearts and strengthen them today. That you accept us all, Lord, that you accept us as we are. You don't leave us that way, but you certainly accept us right now. And Father, I thank you to pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll impart something of life and, and real encouragement in their hearts right now. That first, that they're loved by you. And secondly, that there's people who love them as well. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Come on. We're going to do one more song and, uh, and we'll close the morning. Miracles when you move, such an easy thing for you to do. Your hand is moving right now. You are still showing up at the tomb of every Lazarus. Your voice is calling me out right now. I know you're
breaking my heart and soul, taking over like it's Jericho, cause my walls are all 